Welcome to Tactical Breakdown. On today's episode, we're talking all about predicting danger, utilizing human behavior pattern recognition. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown podcast on the Islet Network. Your number one resource for law enforcement training. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. All right, we're back at it with another episode here on the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time and being with us here today on this episode. This is uh, exciting to continuously put out information that's actionable and relevant to the law enforcement training community. And obviously, we're not just exclusive to law enforcement. We also support and uh, provide training for the correction, security, first responder, public safety communities as well. So hopefully you're finding that information actionable and relevant to you in your day-to-day. And if you are, please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a fancy five-star review. It really helps out with the podcast algorithms, as well as with new sponsors and partners that we're hoping to bring on to not just the podcast, but to Islet Network as a whole. Now, before we jump into this episode with uh, Greg Williams and Brian Marin, who I will introduce here in a second, I just want to touch base real quickly with everybody listening to the podcast about the ILET Network training community, which is launching February 7th, and um, that's going to be available on the ILET.network website and uh, all of the information will be going out all over the place on social media. If you follow us on the podcast or anywhere on social for ILET, you're going to get a whole bunch of information about the community as we roll it out. But exclusive right now is the Founding Members Program, which we launched a few days ago and is only available to 200 people. So 200 select members that jump in right now to the Islet Network community will get lifetime access to the platform. Um, Obviously, that's not something that we can do for everybody, so we've capped it at 200 people. And the reason is we want to build a core membership of the Islet community that has the ability to interact with not just myself, or the ILET team, but the instructors and the trainers on the platform make suggestions, uh, give their feedback on everything that's going on on the platform from usability to accessibility or things that they'd like to see us bring in. And so those first 200 members are gonna get lifetime access. That of course includes access to all of the online annual ILET summit content every year. Um, And there's also a whole bunch of different benefits to that and we're going to link the the link to that founding members uh promo here on the bottom of this um of this page if you're clicking on it and uh, it takes you right to the islet community page uh that just means that that founding members offer has been uh taken up by those 200 people and it's no longer available Uh, but if you're able to check out that page and uh, and see if it is still available if it is for you check out all the perks all the bonuses um one of the coolest ones in there uh there's two two of my favorites one is the fact that if you come down to our in-person ILED events, which is going to be starting in 2023, that you get to join uh, the invite-only instructor uh, events that we have that we'll have going on there. So um, other than the speakers at the event and ILED staff, nobody will be allowed access to these events except for a founding member if they show up live at that event. And of course, you get 50% off any registration to any ILED event moving forward as well. So lots of savings there. And the other really neat thing is uh, later this year, uh, end of spring, early summer, we're going to be launching the Instructor Development Program. And that is a program that is going to be in collaboration with a lot of organizations, ILETA, IADALEST, uh, NAFTO, Four Science Institute, Vertra, and many others. And um, it is going to be a, a game changer in the terms of instructor development training. And um, as a founding member, you're going to save 500 bucks off the cost of that uh, of that program, which is 
con uh, conveniently the exact same cost as to become a founding member. So if you jump in as a founding member of ILET for $500 um, right now, you'll uh, you'll save that $500 on the back end the second that we roll out that course. So uh, if that is, if you want to jump into that. So if you're an instructor, it's kind of a no-brainer. Um, but uh, hopefully uh, people can take advantage of that or you're interested in becoming a founding member. You can reach out to us here at ILET. You can click the links uh, in the show notes here and check it out. So I'll, that's enough on that. On today's episode, like I said, I have Greg Williams and Brian Marin, two guys from Arcadia Cognorati. And if you think that name sounds familiar, uh, there's good reason. Um, if you've ever, ever heard of the Combat Hunter program, um, that's kind of Greg's baby. Um, he was the one who initially developed and started that program. I'm sure you've heard the term left of bang. Um, that was something that he actually coined many, many years before even uh, those uh, now famous books have come out. And um, he works with Brian Marin at Acadia Cognorati. They are world leaders at, uh, at the concept of danger prediction, utilizing human behavior, pattern recognition, and analysis. They were amazing speakers at our last ILET Summit, and we are going to be doing a ton of collaborative work with them this year, building out just comprehensive, amazing training programs for the law enforcement and public safety community, utilizing these exact concepts. So I had the opportunity to sit down with Greg and Brian and talk about what it is that they do at Arcadia, what you can expect. And so if you end up finding that this information is right in down your alley, um, you can check out the Left of Greg podcast, which is something that they've put out. And it's actually part of the ILET podcast network. You go to podcast.ilet.network and uh, you can click right on that Left of Greg podcast. These guys are putting out and spinning knowledge at you day after day on the podcast as well. So another great training resource here uh, with ILET. So let's jump into this interview with Brian and Greg and uh, get the ball rolling. Here we go. Brian, Greg, thank you guys so much for taking the time and joining us on the podcast today. It's an honor to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having us on, man. This is exciting. We're, we're honored to be on, Adam. It's a great honor. Thank you. You know, we've been talking over the last few weeks. Um, we got in touch just a, a month or so ago, a couple months ago, uh, talking about what you guys are doing um, and what your thoughts on on training and what we need to be doing in law enforcement and all these types of things. So this is a really interesting conversation. I'm glad we get to have it and record it. Mm -hmm. We've had this conversation multiple times. We're just now hitting the record button so that people can hear what right. we're thinking. Because on this podcast, that's the whole purpose is getting people behind the curtain, behind the closed door. What are people talking about that are developing training? Why and why are they developing training the way they're doing it? And I think that's the change, that's the shift that's happening right now in law enforcement training is that we're really trying to open that door and explain the why behind things. Right. Why are we doing this? What is the purpose yep. behind it? Is it is it just some dictator saying like, I like this, so I'm going to choose that option? Or are we actually putting some science behind the decisions that we're making? So you guys have your own podcast, Left of Greg podcast, um, which I love the title, by the way. I've got my coffee mug, my left of Greg coffee mug. I'm drinking out of right now. <laughs> Perfect. So I uh, love the name and you guys deep dive into all this stuff all the time. So if you guys yeah. haven't already checked that out, left of Greg podcast, you can get it on the ILET podcast network, um, or you can just search left of Greg on any of your podcast app. Make sure to check that out. But I want to hear your guys' thoughts on training and let's, let's start there because that is kind of a hot button issue with what we're doing in law enforcement training and it's something that you guys are really passionate about. So why don't we start there? Yeah, 
um, Greg, if you don't mind, I'll kind of I'll start. You know, throw a, throw a dart on the board, and then I think we can we can go from there. And uh, so, just you know, for everyone, what what we do is, um, you know, we do the cognitive skills training. We do the predictive analysis. We understand what we call human behavior pattern recognition and analysis. And we do everything what what people probably heard before as left of bang. So whatever that incident is, we focus on everything leading up to that and how to mitigate it from occurring. Now seems right common sense well yeah that makes sense let's if we can prevent it we, you know that's what we should do but but it really it's a lot more difficult sometimes than people realize and it's also a lot more complicated and um it takes a whole looking at something from a completely different perspective and, and I'll, you know real quick example of how these things have progressed is that right now most training and most things that people do are are all at bang or right of bang right so we have this incident something happens and we have to respond and react to it now that's that's all completely necessary, right? Obviously, like especially law enforcement. Well, you don't you don't you, you don't you don't get the call until someone calls and something's going on, right? So so it's all completely necessary. But even when those incidents are in place, you're you still have the ability to to get left of that next bang because there's always going to be something. And what I've seen over the years it, with training is that we've gotten better and better and better. Like training has progressed so much rapidly, especially, you know, since, you know, U.S. has been at war for so long too. So you have all these different military ways of looking things, then people going to law enforcement and how to do this. So weapons have gotten better, uh, gear has gotten better, you know, optics have gotten better, our training has gotten better, right? Uh, you can't run and do some weird stuff now because someone's going to record it and put it on YouTube and they're going to go, hey, that's a bunch of junk. You don't do that. You know what I mean? So, so things have gotten better, but it, it's basically we're getting better and better and better and better at reacting to an incident. We're still thinking this is what's happening. Now we need to do these steps, right? It's still right there. Now we're much closer to that bang, to that event than we've ever been, but we often choose toys over training. And, and what I mean by that is, okay, well, uh, this is the situation. We need to get a better weapon system that has a higher caliber, can reach out farther. Um, we need better body armor. We need a new helmet. We need a new optic. We need a new laser. It's like, okay, but but that's that's a thing. That's a technology. That's that's great. That's 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 not training though. It's a toy, right? And then we get obsessed obsessed with that stuff. But that's how we are naturally as humans, especially guys, right? We we love toys, man. We love cars. We love guns. We like all that stuff. So we take that same type of approach versus going. How did we get here in the first place? What were all of the contributing factors that led to this situation? And then out of all of those contributing factors, what are the ones that we can focus on to mitigate so I can learn so that I can prevent that from occurring? And, and that's the way we approach it. And, and this is, again, not a knock on anyone or training because or anyone who's doing anything. We're just not in that. That's not our area. But, but the idea is we're so focused on when these things occur, right? And, and what we got to say is like, hang on, hang on. We sometimes can be a contributing factor to that situation occurring. Our policies are a contributing factor to why some of these major events that we see play out on the news occur. Our own rules and regulations and our own training are causing, it's, it has a causal relationship to why these incidents occur. So there's things we need to change. And what we focus on is what we can focus on. Training, one, training changes behavior, policies, things like that. I don't care about people, meaning I don't care about your religious viewpoints, your social, your ideological views on anything, on politics. None of that matters to me because that all comes after the fact in terms of what we study on human behavior. None of that stuff was around when we're focusing on the science of human behavior. So if we stick to these universal areas, we can say, 
based on what I know from the past in my training and what I'm observing now, this is what's likely going to happen. But but also I got to balance it out with, well, this is the most dangerous thing that can happen. And and how I have to balance that, I have to gather artifacts and evidence in support of a reasonable conclusion that drives me to what's going to happen next so I can step in right now to mitigate that from happening. And that's the basis of where we are. And having that left of bang idea, like it's not about reading a book and then going to do it. It's not about watching something and then go to you. You have to have a training mechanism and you have to have a mindset that's developed through that training to go, well, hang on here. I know there's an immediate rush in the situation, but what's likely going to occur and can we mitigate that? And that's the area we focus on. So that training has come along, I mean, drastically, even just in the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, it's a night and day difference that, than the things were, were 10 years ago even, which is great, which is great. We're getting there. But we still need to keep going on that timeline. Does that kind of make sense? No, absolutely. It makes sense. And, you know, you brought up a few points there. Um, one is using the, the scientific method when it comes to developing training and why we and how we develop training. Yep. Um, and the other one, which I think is interesting that I want to jump into on the and I know we're going to talk about it, is focusing on the universality of certain things, right? Human behavior. Humans, it doesn't matter what type of gun you have in your hand. It's how you're going to act, right? Leading up to and prior to that event even occurring or you using that weapon system, most of the time, it doesn't matter if you're any ethnicity, doesn't matter where you are in the world. Humans behave in a very specific way. And yes. when you know how to recognize that, it's universally applicable. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with you know, people in uh, a war zone overseas, or you're dealing with somebody from a, a call out in, you know, central Chicago. It's, yep. it's very um, universal, which I think is so important about what you guys are doing, because when we talk about training, the other thing we talk about is how much, like where, where do we have budgets and time for training and how can we maximize the efficiency? And so when you can have something that is applicable in multiple areas it increases the value of that training exponentially. And so um, there's a lot of things you touched on there, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm super excited about diving down those rabbit holes. Talk about starting with a flashbang and booting the door, Marin. That's a great thing. I, I thought we were going to ease into this, Adam, and we were going to have like a, you know, a timely discussion about each one of these things. And Marin just lit the house on fire. Now we got to talk fast yeah. till it burns to the ground, <laughs> but that's a great way to go. So by the way, this is Greg Williams talking now. And, and I'm going to try to fit in a couple of good points because Marin did a, a bang-up job there. Listen, uh, one, uh, uh, let's talk about what Brian said when he said it's a thing. Adam, I believe that there's things with a G, and then there's thinks with a K. And what we deal with is the think, okay? Uh, so if you work hard enough on the think, I'll tell you what, your, your muscle memory skills, you, know, you, you got to do that. But I, I, I can't flip a tire. I can't uh, uh, do the two ropes in the hand anymore. I can't do the the, the one-armed uh, uh, pull-ups. You know, I, I was a member of the 500 club. I thought that was an amazing accomplishment. If I did that now, my entire body would implode. I, and, and my massive gelatinous ass cannot, you know, uh, uh, run down an escalator. So, so what I have to do is I have to outthink an opponent. And the opponents that are out there are cunning opponents. And so uh, from 1976 to 1979, I had an epiphany that was that changed my entire life trajectory. And briefly, 
what it was is that from all the martial arts courses that I was taking and teaching, and I was uh, uh, fighting guys like Steve Nasty Anderson and and uh, doing uh, uh, sparring with Bill Wallace, uh, Superfoot, uh, Dino Kane, uh, 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 Greg Delone, some of the masters back then, Tiger Chung. Uh, what it was is I was an at-bang guy. Everything was at-bang. And then I started reading the greats. And Brian will tell you, uh, and I know you know this, Adam, but the great thinkers have been around forever. And, yeah. and people go back to them occasionally, you know. So now there's this movement to, to go back to Marcus Aurelius. Well, I, I was I was more of a Lao Tzu. I was more of a, a, a Gichin Funakoshi and, and Miyamoto Musashi who were like, hey, listen, the fight really starts before the fight. And nobody was thinking like that, even though that thinking had been around for a thousand years. So I said, okay, from 76 to 79, what I'm going to do is I'm going to self-study everybody out there and take a look what's going on. So I would go into dojos and I would fight people into dojos and I would say, what we need to do is go into your bathroom and you and I will fight in your bathroom because the dojo had a little shitter, right? And a little box that was like two by four. And they'd say, why are we doing this? And I'm saying, because the people that are back in my day, hijacking airplanes are doing it in the aisle of an airplane. And so your spinning hook kick, if it doesn't work there, it's irrelevant. So I built what was called back then context awareness. And what I built context awareness on was the old, the computers were new, guys. You guys are geniuses. But back with me, computers were new. And there were still things that you had to hook your phone up to a modem. And there were cards that had little hole punches into them. And the computer industry back then said, we have to have context awareness. The computer has to be able to read the environment and adapt to the environment. I said, why the hell can't we do that for martial arts? So I would go into the dojo and I would say simple things like, okay, uh, handcuff me behind my back, put me in the back seat, and I'm going to kick your ass when you open the police car door. And everybody would laugh. And then all of a sudden, the East Detroit police and the Roseville police and everybody else said, hey, come over and teach that lesson. And then, you know, taught them how to break out of handcuffs, taught them how to, uh, uh, by the way, uh, uh, back then, uh, weapons retention and disarming was non-existent. So I would go up and they would have their swivel holsters. I would rip it off and hand them their gun. And, and I thought that was training. But, but what that was is that was a magic show. That was a parlor trick where I tried to get their attention to move space time. Because it's the gift of time and distance, Adam. It's moving left of the bang incrementally. And even if that's a fraction of a second, you save a life. And it might not be your life. It might be a witness's life. It might be the, the suspect's life. But the idea is, and, and back then we came up with ABCs, because back then I was studying uh, things like CPR and things like Heimlich maneuver. Uh, why are these so important, right? And we came up with you know airway and bleeding and circulation, right? So I came up with the, hey, listen, we should always be considering de-escalation. Why? Because if you're a good martial artist and a guy gets up in your grill, the first thing you do is go, whoa, 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 let, let me buy a beer. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to do this. Let me uh, 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 just leave. You guys have a good dinner. You don't go up there and drop into a coat of, gosh, yeah, you know, I'm going to do all that other stuff. If you do, then you're worth a crap as a martial artist. All you are is an angry kid on the street. And sooner or later, you're going to run up against the wrong guy. So that doesn't work very well in Detroit. In Detroit, you had to know, when a car started slowing down and turned down the music, it was early sign of a drive-by. You get what I'm trying to say? It wasn't somebody asking for flipping directions to the Ambassador Bridge. So my point on what Brian just told you is that this has been around forever. And great training exists. And really, really good training persists. It's still here with us. So when we start talking about something like law enforcement reform, I go back to our tagline is training changes behavior. And police chiefs at the strategic level go, so what does that mean? Well, that means if 
the dispatcher is doing your thinking for you and your partner is doing the thinking for you. And all of a sudden that scout car shits you out at the scene. Now it's a game of time and distance again, and you might not be making the best decisions. And the less educated you are, and the more pressure is in a pressure cooker in the situation you're in, the worse crapping decisions you're going to make. You know, we talk about situation awareness and people say, well, I coined that phrase. One, uh, kiss my ass. The, the phrase was coined in World War I uh, by a fighter pilot that was teaching yeah. the Germans how to do it that Boyd ended up using. But he didn't come up with it. I, I guarantee Lao Tzu would go awareness of situation with, I think we can go all the way back. I think Jesus was kneeling on the side of the Sea of Galilee and going, before you walk into the Coliseum, make sure you take into account situational awareness. So what I'm telling you, Adam, is we're nothing new. And we're not for everybody. But I'll tell you, if you start thinking about how to build the training, you need to take a look at the masters of those skills and say, here are the essential core elements. And then you got to dial it back. What happened a minute ago? What happened 10 minutes ago? What happened a, a year ago in this kid's life that's going to save me or make me pull the trigger? It's going to save his life or it's going to make me escalate for it. So I, I, I just want to throw that in as the other side of the coin that, that Brian's thrown on the table. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's interesting. We talk about, you know, especially in the, in the military concept, we talk about tactics and you talk about evaluating terrain, evaluating opponent, evaluating all of these things at a grand scale of giant military movements, moving regiments, moving battalions of troops. Um, but it's, it's funny because we can talk about that concept and people understand that, but then you say, okay, now I want you to dial that back down to one individual person. And they go, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Well, but part of that too is, um, you, you brought up a, a couple of good things, Adam, when you said, you know, the, the why behind what we do, that that's a great question that everyone should ask. Um, if you're in learning something and someone's teaching you some method, technique, whatever it is, you, you should say, why do we do it this way? And if the answer comes, well, that's how we've always done it. Go get a different trainer, go that person. And it's not that person's fault. They just don't know why. And if you don't know why you're doing something that way, well, then, then we, we, what's the point of doing it? We've, we've lost it. And, and that's just one part of the, the stuff that you, you, you kind of brought up and kind of one of the other things we were getting into with, with the training and, and, and everything that we're going to be talking about um, is how we actually apply it. Because what ends up happening in these different scenarios, people do the, well, you know, anything could happen, you know, it could go this way and there's a million spirals and, it, and I, I want to disabuse people of that because it's not true. It's a finite data set, meaning there are only so many things that you're likely going to see. There are only so many things that likely could happen. And when we ever book, what everyone does is because we don't fully understand these situations, they always go to the worst case scenario. Go, but what if this occurs? And you're like, yeah, but you only know that because it's so rare. You know, everyone talks about, uh, uh, you know, the, the siege at Waco and, and Ruby Ridge because because it's only happened a couple times, okay? The 99.999% of the other situations don't happen that way. So what we try to do is focus on the things that are, occur in all of these situations, right? They're the same things that occur when you're going up to talk to a kid that's crying on the street because they can't find their mom is no different than some of the stuff you're going to see in a domestic violence situation or a bank robbery. And you're going, well, what, what the hell do those have to do with anything? It's like, they're all the same. Human behavior is universal. 
you can only do so many things at once. And, and words matter, right? So sometimes we incorrectly label things. And this just, I just came to my head, Adam, because of that phone call we were on with those other folks the other day. And they talked about someone uses the term pre-attack indicators. Okay. If you call something a pre-attack indicator, you're already suffering from confirmation bias. We call it a pre-event indicator, right? Because just because someone's doing something doesn't mean they're going to attack you, right? It could mean if I'm start tapping my foot and you see my feet moving, yeah, it could be because I'm going to run up and hit you or run away or I got to pee really bad. <laughs> but if I call that a pre-attack indicator, what, what does my brain start to do with every other piece of information I start taking in? Now it all just adds on to that case. And dude, you don't understand. This guy was ready to go at me. And kids just like, hey, look, man, I got to pee really, really bad. So can we get this conversation over with? Because I've been standing in line out here for 10 minutes. So, so even sometimes the words we use to describe this stuff, they often lead us astray. And we jump to unreasonable conclusions. All we're trying to do is get people knowing what they already know with the experience you already have to be able to articulate something using a scientific lexicon and then apply that, right? So, there, Adam, the one thing, if I might just dovetail on that quickly, the, the one thing that you do, Adam, uh, better than, than anybody that I've met, and that's why we, we like having these conversations, is you know how to resource people. You know how to get the best out of people. You know how to push uh, uh, peanut butter and chocolate together and come up with something that, that stands the test of time. And, and sometimes that's Rolodex. Sometimes that's, uh, uh, you know, it takes a special uh, uh, wand to, to lead all the kids at Hogwarts, whatever. Whatever it is, you got it. So I would say that because you're appealing to these people or trainers, I would ask you to be introspective. And everybody that's listening right now, just grab a yellow pad. If you're driving a uh, napkin on the knee, put down your coffee <laughs> for a second, pull over. Don't ram a bunch of nuns uh, heading to church. But I would write down on line number one, psychological. Uh, line number two, physiological. Line number three, sociological. To the left of those three, I would put a plus sign. I would put a line at the bottom. And under that, I would put environmental. Now, if you add up those three things and you change it environmentally, depending on the situation that you're in, sociologically or or environmentally, uh, from from like a, a financial standpoint, let's say, or or the location in a city, your urban versus rural, what you've just created is context awareness at its most basic level. That's white belt. So your training must have a psychological component. It must have a physiological component, and it must have a sociological component, and it must be able to fit the environment you're likely to be found in. If it's not, it's not relevant. And you you must tell people, listen, this is great training. I love what we're doing, the plasma charges and keeping the goat alive with the IV. This is all wonderful stuff and I've done it, but it's not helping me right now in this moment de-escalate the situation or talk down this suicide or do whatever. Now, flip that piece of paper over and write where those raised marks are from your pressure. I would write three things, strategic, operational, and tactical. Now, why? Poke a little hole in the center of your piece of paper and turn that son of a gun around and peer at the rest of the world and then back it off, focus pull, and look at which side of the paper you're on. Both sides of the coin, now the paper, are equally important in assessing what you're getting into. So you can have the best training in the world, but the strategic policy or the strategic end game, you know, your, your desired mission statement isn't up to par. Or 
operationally level, uh, at the operational level rather, you have the best uh, 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 person behind the console in dispatch. You've got great first responders that are on the way to the scene. And guess what? Their supervisor is already calling in, uh, hey, we need air on station. We need this, you know, uh, get a rotary wing started or whatever. But the boots on the ground don't get it. And they're out there operating on their own. Do you get what I'm trying to say in their environment? Hey, don't tell me about that policy. I'm here on the streets all the time. If you have dissonance, if you have uh, uh, turbidity in any of those worlds, then what you've got is you've got a gap. That's where you need to spend your money. You need to spend money on those gaps in training. So what do you need to do? One, you need to do a cognitive task analysis of your training. You need to go to your agency. You need to go to your training and go, we're spending way too much time worrying about uh, meeting this quota of how many rounds down range, and we're not spending enough time on our gear. Or we're spending so much time on the PT and the gear, we're spending no time on the de-escalation psychologically. And that's how you'll balance it. So so when I see police reform, law enforcement reform, all that other stuff, I'm like, look, you need to look into the Fabergé egg and see what the villagers are doing before you start implementing training. But what have we already done? Even under this administration and the last administration, oh, we've got $100 million and we're going to defund or refund or upset or change how we do things. Dude, we haven't even done the basics. And you know what the basics is? Get everybody at that white belt level and say, here's the environmental factors. Here's the psychological, sociological, and physical factors. Here's the strategic mission. Operationally, we have to do these things to get there. And boots on the ground, you know, we, we've upended the apple cart and we expect everybody to just read the policy and the procedure that's coming down. And, and that's not training. You know, it's funny. The, the word that jumps into my head as you're discussing that is baseline. So setting and, and it's funny because when we talk from an individual perspective and you talk situational awareness, you have to have a baseline. And you talk from an organizational level and you're talking about policy, procedure, everything. You have to have a baseline. Right. So I want I want you guys to jump into that because I know that's a key component to what we're so, going to be talking about. So, so, yeah. so Adam, let me let, Brian, I'm going to let you take this, but let me yeah. let me throw this at you before he does, Adam, because you're intuitive and you, you're you're right on the cusp of something great here. I think I, I don't know anything. I've never been anywhere. No, nobody. But let me tell you this. What are the two things when you have an incident as a copper or as a soldier? What are the two things you need to know? What's my mission? What are my mission parameters here? What do I need to do? That's the first thing. And the second thing, who's my guy on the ground? And somebody goes, what are you talking about? Hey, listen, who do I got out there? If I got Brian Marin on the ground, easy. Brian, tell me what you need. I'll start sending stuff. Okay. If I get Joe shit, the rag man on the ground, I'm already going, uh, get my PIO. We got to start, uh, you know what I'm saying? De-escalating the situation. Do me a favor, send another team. So in the context of that, that's where, the, the behavior portion. That's where the intellectual portion of this comes in. Yeah. Brian. And, and, and to go, that's, those are, that's a, that's a great point, Greg, that kind of would, would go into what, what we would discuss with baseline for policies. Right. So the idea is everything's compared to a baseline. So if I have something, if I'm looking at something, I'm comparing it, I have to compare it to something, right? Either something that's a known that I know, compare it to uh, taking the unknowns and all compare that to the baseline. What's normal for that given time and space where we're at right now in the universe, meaning just what's homeostasis, right? Yeah. And then I, I compare everything to that. So, but, but what you're talking about too, Adam, with the big picture, with the overall strategy, when they talk about even police reform and stuff, it's like, okay, well, what are we comparing it to? Because one of my big arguments are, and, and you guys can agree or disagree, is that we've, and especially in the United States, we, 
we've never taken law enforcement seriously, meaning it is not at where it needs to be. It's not the fault of the law enforcement officers. I'm talking about societally as a whole. We've, and especially in the U.S., man, we we have civil liberties in this nation that no one else in the world has, and I love it, and and I will fight and die for that, and it's amazing. But we've never taken a step back and said, "Wait a minute, what what do we want our police to look like? What do we want that to be? And not not physically what they would look like, but what does that actually mean? What should we have them do? What is their role?" Right. Because we've never done that. What happens is, all right, here's your job. Uh, you know what? Now we got these other problems. So, oh, you know what? You're going to do that, too. Oh, and also, uh, you know, we got all these people with all these mental health issues running around. Doing so, hey, you're going to deal with that, too. And typically what happens for a while, the police handle it fine. Why? Because they're professional. They're hardworking people. They're going to try and get it done. And then something catastrophic happens. And then the police go, well, look, you had us doing this and you didn't train us to do this. So then we go, OK, we got to get you some training. But what does that training now become? Well, here, check this box, click through this video, take this online course. Good. Now you know how to handle an emotionally disturbed person. What the F? Like, this is absolutely insane. So to get back to that baseline, get back to that core competencies, what are we trying to develop here? Because you've already got experts that are, you know, use of force, uh, uh, constitutional law, uh, mental health, um, sexual harassment, uh, post-traumatic stress. We all the experts are already there. They already exist. Everyone is already out there and they're just keep pumping out new books that sit on a shelf and get dusty. But what is it? How do we connect all of those? How do we get them all to talk to one another? What's that API? What's that link? Right. And that's what we do with that HBPRNA. If I focus and get a really, 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 really good understanding of how humans are, what we think, how we think, uh, how we act, interact, you know, what happens to me psychologically, physiologically, sociologically in my environment. If I get really, really good at understanding that, all of those other skill sets are going to fall into place because you already have the experts. Now all we have to say is here, we're going to put this uh, flavor frosting on it. Hey, we're going to add some sprinkles already over here. But that recipe, right, that's that baseline, getting back to that baseline of what are we trying to accomplish here? What is it that we want to do? And what is it that we need to know that helps inform this? Because I see people hitting on it all the time in different training stuff that I've seen. But but we're not connecting the dots. That's all. So what we try to do is connect those dots and come in and, and, and say you already are experts in what you do. So let me give you a bit of historical perspective because you're spot on both of you. Here, here's the idea. Okay. Uh, uh, you have to have a long memory uh, for fact-based data or you're never going to survive as a cop on the road. So let's, let's go to this baseline again. The reason I want to know what the mission is and who's on the ground is so I can compare it to knowns and unknowns in my own mind. And I can hear that police pursuit going and go, we got to can this pursuit. We got to stop it. So let me give you some context and relevance on that. Uh, right now, shootings and specifically police shootings of uh, 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 minorities and specifically black lives are right in the center of our crosshairs, right? Right in the news. But it wasn't so 35 years ago when police pursuits were the thing because coppers were uh, exceeding the, the, the uh, limits of their uh, police vehicle or, or exceeding the limits of their training, and they were killing people. So what happened? Uh, uh, the police, no pursuit or this policy or we backed off. Uh, just like Tennessee versus Garner changed police work in 85. Police pursuits changed how police did business. So we came in with these policies. Then we came in with training. Then we overlaid all this other stuff. Now, all of a sudden, we're willing to take a serious problem like that, 
or like shoot, don't shoot with Tennessee versus Garner. And we're going to do a knee jerk reaction. So we take a look at the baseline and we go, okay, a police pursuit started. And I would take your little yellow pad out that we just said about the uh, physiological, psychological, sociological, environmental, strategic, operational tactics. I would have that right up in front of me while I'm listening to the police pursuit. What's your crime? Well, a person pulled away from a traffic stop, vehicle stolen, uh, unknown, plate comes back, whatever. Is it raining? Is it daylight? Who's my guy driving the car? Is it a busy road? Is it a county road? Is it a country road? Is it foggy? And you're going, no way we have time for that. Adam, you know that that's the essentials because that's when I got to call off that pursuit. That's when I walk in and I go, hey, what's that smell? Well, it smells amazingly like cordite. Why am I in a 7-Eleven smelling cordite? Holy crap, it's a robbery and somebody's been shot. You have to create those memory and emotion links through your training. So if, if your training is only shooting at paper targets and then shooting at metal sills and then shooting at a target that turns from green to red and, and test your stuff, that's essential. It's amazingly essential. But it's not all there is. You got to dial that left and you got to say, what did I smell? What did I feel? What did I taste? How many other people? Where were those people looking? Orientation is huge. Why is that guy looking over there instead of looking at me when I'm pulling up with lights and sirens? If you can crack the code, which luckily we, we, we have, but there's other geniuses out there too, not saying that we're genius. But if you can crack the code on that, you can improve your training tomorrow. Why is that important? Because there's 18,000 agencies out there that don't have the budget of New York or Detroit or Philly or Chicago. So that small time, small town who might have a big thing, like Hinsdale County uh, is a huge county in Colorado, and they got a couple of coppers. You know, uh, Gunnison has a police department and a sheriff's office that only has 6,000 people, but it's huge. It's vast. And, and it goes up to a million people when they're skiing and stuff. You have to go to that training board and say, we charge 10 grand a day or 11,000 or 12,500 or whatever else it is. And those people, shit, that's their whole budget for a year. That's half of what they're paying for an officer. But the reality of the situation is better paid officer with better training is going to do a better job out on the street. The law is already wonderful. The, the, the amendments to the U.S. Constitution, the Supreme Court's decision, these are all things that we've learned to live with and we can go forward. But what we can't is this recent uh, uh, deviation from what policy and procedures really are and then nitpicking a specific event and going off this. Adam, I can't even talk to you about this event because it's too emotional. That's not where we start. We got to approach this just like the NTSB does with plane crashes. Yep. Put the plane back together. Where did it crash? How, what were the contributing factors? You get what I'm trying to say? If we start taking an approach like that, now we're going to solve the, this issue of law enforcement reform. There's, so I'm making notes. I was smiling when you were when you were talking about um, environmental factors, um, mm -hmm. and I was laughing because I was literally when I run a use of force course and we talk um, use of force, we talk about articulation, right? And right. Why did I do this? And it's it's usually after the fact, after the event, and now you have to sit there and explain. Well, why did I choose this option? Why did I choose this level of force? And it's like, okay, well, from an individual officer perspective, let's talk about the suspect, right? Are they known to you? Are they not known to you? Do they have weapons? Do they not have weapons? Right. What is their size? What is their weight? What is their sex, right? Are they are they a fighter? Are they not a fighter? Do they appear to be a fighter? Do they appear to have gang affiliations? Do they, all these different things? And then yourself, like, are you sick? Are you like your size, yeah. your shape, your, your ability, right? Your perceived ability. Um, talking about environment, right? Are you wearing boots? Okay, if you're wearing boots, are you on carpet? Are you on concrete? Are you on tile? Are you on asphalt? Are you on grass? Yeah. Are you on wet grass? 
are you on dirt? Are you on sand? Are you, you know, all these different things. Is it hot or is it cold or is it dark? Is it light? We talk about all these things in context because it affects how you do business. And you have to understand that every little one of those things that you did in that use of force incident, all of these things came into account. You just made those decisions in the in that fraction of a second based off of your previous experience. Precisely. Um, and so I love that you said that because I was just laughing because I was like just flashbacks to training. Um, but something popped into my head and I don't think I've ever used this term before, um, but I want to talk about experience versus, and I'm going to use this term, synthetic experience. Right. Um, and you guys have probably heard this or maybe I'm pulling it from somewhere that my brain's just now bouncing it back to me. But um, the difference between an experience, which is lived experience, like I've been in this situation myself, yeah. versus yeah. I'm going to be experiencing this situation either in training or through somebody else explaining something to me, right. and it's synthetic. So I'm understanding the information, but it's not quite the same as the real thing. So, so Brian, but before you start, yeah. I know where you're going to – yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd like you to go in what reality is, okay? Yeah. But, but, but Adam, uh, a lot of the people listening – uh, includes incredible trainers to the poser spectrum, the full full link that, that's going out there with training. You have to understand the brain doesn't know the difference. Yes. So if it's good training and it hits on the knowledge, skills, attitudes, uh, abilities, and aptitudes, then it'll work as, as long as that training is coming from a credible source. And what I mean by that is for uh, a male uh, or a female uh, to masturbate, all they need is an image and friction. They don't know that they're not having sex. Their body certainly doesn't. And physiologically, the end result uh, 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 with your electrochemical neurotransmitters is identical. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Why am I talking about masturbation? If your brain doesn't know the difference yeah. of that, then it doesn't know the difference. But it will know the difference, before I pass it to Brian Marin of crappy training. If your brain sits and goes, this I will <clears throat> never do. I do not, you know, it was me and calculus, East Detroit, High School, yeah. and then calculus. And I go, I know none of this. This is never going to help me in my life. So I tuned out, but Brian, what's reality. In so what, what Greg is talking about there, Adam is, is, um, something, all it needs to be is cognitively close enough, right? It's got to be close enough to fool the brain. And so some people go to extremes with that, especially with the military. And it's like, okay, we're going to build this training set with all of this stuff and we're going to hire these companies to make it look like exactly where we're deploying to. And we're going to get people that speak that language. We're going to pay them all kinds of money just to hang out here. And you're like, well, we're like, you don't need any of that. You only need something to be 60 to 80% cognitively close enough. And what Greg was talking about when he says, you don't know, your brain doesn't know the difference. What we're talking about is that limbic system, right? Your primitive brain doesn't know that you're just, you're masturbating in a crappy hotel room after a bottle of bourbon and a two weeks Thanks. on the road. Sorry, we're getting real Thanks. personal here. But like a real personal experience there, Brian. Sorry, I thought we were in the circle of trust here. Um, no, no, but but the idea is my my primitive brain thinks it's time to procreate the species. It, it, this is doing what it's supposed to do. And it now my prefrontal cortex, my thinking brain knows all that other stuff that's really going on in the room. So I don't need to worry about that. I got to focus on that primitive brain. What you brought up, Adam, you talk about it used to use uh, experience versus synthetic experience. So let's talk about what that means. So your experience, right, that you gain from being on the road, doing stuff in life, I don't care, growing up where you did, learning a new school skill, uh, working a trade when you were in high school. Those are all, you know, that experience builds it. And, and what you gain in those things is called, you know, that, that tacit knowledge, right? Tacit knowledge is something that I've attained through 
experience, but maybe maybe it's hard to articulate or write down or, or talk to you about it, right? But I know something. I know uh, uh, when when the weight of that rifle doesn't feel right because it's not. Or I know what the, the the difference between a loaded mag and an empty mag, right? I know what that means from experience. That's tacit knowledge. And then anything you can write down, right, and codify is more like explicit knowledge, right? Here we can write this down. This is the process. This is how you define it, right? So what you want to have is both, right? And this is what gets into training and education. Training and education are two completely different things. You want to have both. Training changes behavior. Education, you learn about something. I can read about it. We can have a cerebral conversation like we're having right now, but that doesn't get me to change my behavior. Maybe it gets me to think and approach something a different way, but I need a process. That's where training comes in. So, so, and, and, and training doesn't have to be something uh, uh, elaborate. I mean, your morning routine is you've trained your body to do that so much that you get up and you wake up and you're going through that morning routine and already done brushing your teeth before you're even fully awake yet. You're like, oh crap, like I didn't even know I was up. Oh man, I was really tired, right? That's, you You created a training process for yourself. You didn't know it, right? I had to train myself to learn to fall asleep at night years ago because I, I just never slept. So I had to put myself through a training process. So that's what I look at it. So when I can combine that tacit and explicit knowledge, I can create an experiential learning environment. So that's where I take that experience that I have. I can teach you, Adam, hey, here's some of the words you're gonna use to describe what you're doing and here's why you do it. Now I'm going to put you in a situation that's, think of this, cognitively close enough. It just has to mimic what you're likely going to see. Because then if you've never been through that experience before, what I'm doing now for you in that training is I'm developing those file folders. I'm giving you, uh, you know, a list of things to choose from when you go out on the road. The problem is we either get too hyper-focused on this one specific little thing that you're going to do of a active school shooter in the corner of this room. It's like hyper-focus on this one little area and we'll beat that to death over and over again. But that only works in that one specific case. What I want to give you is as many tools for that toolkit as you possibly can. I want to walk around with that belt, that Batman belt, with all kinds of different tools on there, literal ones and metaphorical ones, right? And that's just mental models of how to think and approach a situation that I can use in all those. So if I can build that, again, it doesn't have to be perfect. There is no perfect thing. But, but you know, spending, you know, eight hours on the range blasting steel, don't get me wrong, love doing it, fun as hell, right? It's awesome. But one hour of force on force training using sim blows that eight hours out of the water, completely blows it out of the water. You're going to get 10 times the amount of learning and training from that, it, that actual uh, experience where, Oh, I got someone shooting back at me this time. So that's going to change things. We've all seen that inside of a shoot house. We're like, Hey, let me show you your high speed tactic. Okay. Tell you what, I'm going to go in the room now with a gun. Now you coming into that. So oh, suddenly your tactics don't work anymore. Right. That's where it has to be. So, so if I focus on those things, and again, those don't have to be elaborate. We had a great conversation. I think we mentioned this in a call the other day, but I worked with an agency one time and I, they kept bringing up how, hey, why do these police officers try to like jump in a vehicle as the guy's pulling away or grab onto the door and hold it? It's like, dude, that's, that's, that's due to poor training. That's due to the fact that you said, that's a guy, he's a fleeing felon. I need to catch him. Well, your, your limbic system is getting overridden by your training to, to now you're putting your own life in jeopardy to do that. Why? Dude, you're not going to win a battle against a 4,000 pound vehicle. It just ain't going to happen. Right? So, so what does that mean? You have corrupt file folders. So you can literally go out to the parking lot of your agency, recreate that event in a sterile, safe environment and practice when that person starts to put on that gas or put that car in gear, I push away from the vehicle, take a couple steps around and you can make it look like whatever you do. 
just doing that, even at slow speed, cognitively close enough, your brain now has an option. It now has a file folder. So when it occurs, rather than you just, oh, this is my job. This is what I got to do. I got to get this guy jumping through that window. You're going to fall back on what you know. And now what you know is to push away from that vehicle and move around to a safe location. So something very small going through those rehearsals, that's training. And that's far better than sitting in a freaking classroom for three hours and talking or, or, or plinking stuff on the range all damn day long. Like that's good. That's fun, but it ain't going to help you in the situation. And, and let me throw a warning label on training because most people don't, and you have to, there's good training and there's bad training. And I'm not talking about an individual instructor. I am talking about how training is, is, is executed. So let me give you two quick things. One, our stuff is proven. Uh, there are studies out there uh, from Office of Naval Research to uh, Army Research Incident, uh, in Institute to all these uh, uh, private uh, think tanks, and it's all online. Uh, look up Kodiak. My name's on the cover. Look, look up the, the Spiker Report. My name's on the first page. So for all the people out there that are contending uh, where they came in at the game, uh, all you got to do is do a Google search and you'll be done in a minute. But let me tell you about episodic cortisol. When they tested us, Adam, what they did is they said the people that had received our training, their episodic cortisol level was just as high as a person that was going through the real event. But the great thing about it is after our training, their episodic cortisol level dropped down to operationally where it was homeostasis so they could take on more external arousal and still perform. That's the key. The key is that you got to have the smell and the taste and the sound and the feel, and you got to do it for a low cost and you got to repeat it over and over. So the brain goes, ah, that must be important. It's like flipping where's Waldo. So that's the first part of the argument. Second part of the argument is Plato uh, is allegory of the cave. So the best training in the world is Brian and I, we strip down to our underwear and we go into this cave and, and we turn down the lights in the living room and have a little sterno that is the campfire. And Brian has the broom and he's dancing around the room one direction. And I have my hands up like antlers on top of my head and I'm dancing around the other direction. And what we do through storytelling is we show the hunt, the elk hunt, the bear hunt. I don't care what the hell you want to do. Now, everybody that's in our glow and sees the cave paintings on the wall and watches Brian and I act it out and sees where we do the kill shot. And then we cheer as a tribe afterwards. They're all getting the best training. And that training is both tacit and experiential. The problem is that that glow goes outside of that campfire. And there's a couple of kids sitting up in bed and they can only see it through the smoke of the campfire. And they can only see it through the bed sheets that are hanging up uh, 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 to separate them from the adults. And what they see is a dragon coming down and they see a guy swinging a baseball bat at the dragon. Their story is completely different. And they walked away from that training and they're going to kneel down and they're going to influence the next generation of kids. We, we have to have the faith, the honor, and the temerity to take a sharp pair of scissors and cut the bullshit out of training and go back to that core essential crew of graybeards around that campfire. Because every time, and I'm not saying don't be innovative. I'm not saying don't branch out. I'm saying what happens is uh, the more we duplicate a VHS tape, the worse it gets. The more we accept the third grade training, the second grade, the, the worse our training is going to get. And we're going to reap the whirlwind. We already have. We've dropped the pay for officers. We've dropped the training for officers. We put them in body bunkers so they look like they're going into uh, 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 Kuwait pre-invasion. Do you get what I'm trying to say? But we haven't. Uh, uh, up armored, the most important thing in the world, the area between their ears and giving them the ability to make critical decisions, giving them the, 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 the critical thinking skills.
you you brought something up that people and, and uh, listeners of this podcast will have heard me say multiple times, and I call it the inbred training model, <laughs> where you learn from the same people that, so you're, it's just, you keep learning from the same people that teach the same thing over and over down the rabbit hole. Um, and eventually you, you lose out on the folk, you, you lose out on everything. Um, and which is the core component of why we have the podcast, why the Islet network exists, which is to get outside of that bubble, which is what you're used to and that echo chamber and get influence and information from other people, um, and other trainers and other sources of information and knowledge. Um, because sometimes you don't, you, well, you don't know what you don't know. That's, right. the, that's the fact of it. Right. So um, it's funny. You said that I call it the inbred training that's model, exactly but right. I love, I love the, um, I love the visual as you're talking, I'm, I'm visualizing this. And I think we should make this either like a graphic <laughs> short story or some type of, and we're going to put it out to trainer. Maybe it's like a children's book for trainers. Um, I, yeah. can see, I can see it right now. Um, so Stand, right. Stay tuned for that. If you're listening to this episode, <laughs> so true, though. it's coming. You're exactly right. Yeah, but but that that comes into you know Adam, again, you it's, have, it's uh, not just uh, about the 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 content right that you're you're delivering. It's it's how you're delivering it, and and uh, storytelling has a purpose. So w- what happens is that's how well, one that's how humans have learned since the since the dawn of of, of mankind. Uh, they you sat around the fire and they told stories and passed along exactly. to the next generation. And say, hey, this is what happened. This is why you don't go out at this certain time. This is why you don't go over that hill, right? So that, that those those traditions continue that way. But a lot of times, what happens is we forget the lessons learned, right? We we look at it from you know a lot of these are are, are we look at from some take some small element of a situation that happened and go, look, see, that's what really happened rather than taking into the account of everything and why we do this. And you brought it up too at the beginning is, is why are we doing this? Uh, the inbred training model, the third grade teach in the second grade or, or in the military, it's, oh yeah, my team leader taught me that. Yeah. And who taught him, uh, his team leader and who taught him, his team leader and who's taught, okay, see how we kind of plateaued there. We never, we never got past this level, right? That that's the problem. So bringing those lessons forward of those situations that occurred in the past. And here's why we do certain things. That's the important part. That's just as important as learning your new policy or learning that new tactic or procedure is why are we doing this? Where did it come from? You know, Greg brought up the plane crash, you know, example of the NTSB, the NTSB, when a plane crashes, cause it's rare, they literally take all of those pieces. They try to assemble it in a warehouse and then they figure out what, what happened. Right. They don't go, well, the plane crashed. Well, you know what? We got to build some new airplanes because the ones we have right now, they suck. It's like, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) You don't rewrite the book. You just figure out what went wrong, all right, and then address that problem going forward. So, hey, uh, uh, Adam, do you know know an instructor named Jay Cease, J-A-Y Cease? I I know you have to know him from somewhere around. Lucky is his call sign. So back in the, you know, I've been relevant 70s, 80s, 90s, so – uh, all the way till today, I hope. I, I think my card expired yesterday. So I drop in on a small agency, Avon, Colorado, up in the mountains on I-70, uh, working DEA, uh, uh, mobile enforcement team for drug interdiction and stuff. Avon's a very small town. So JC says a uniformed copper that's on the road there. So uh, they had recently had a shooting, uh, a fatal shooting, uh, officer involved. And uh, Jimmy Perez, great cop, shout out to Jimmy, uh, had to take a life of a guy that was armed during a domestic. So uh, I had to go through their training. And at the end of their training, and imagine that, you know, this is 25 years after I've been doing my work and, and kind of, you know, uh, uh, doing all my stuff. I went through their training and, and Jay 
sitting next to me, young guy. Uh, 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 the first time I met him, we had gone through a, 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 a drug interdiction class and a mobile labs class and undercover class by uh, what's the guy that uh, was in that movie? Uh, uh, Joey Pistone. Yeah, Joey Pistone. And so it's so long ago. Oh, my God. So uh, uh, Jay sitting next to me and he goes, so what would you do, wise guy? What would you do on the training? So we recreated the shooting of the domestic at the trailer park by starting, first of all, in Vail, Colorado, because Vail is where dispatch is. And Vail uh, dispatched for Avon, a small town. So we said, hey, everybody, this is the officer. This is this. This is what it's like. We did a ride along with them. They did a ride along with us. Then we put the people out on I-70. Then the call came in. And we rented a huge golf course that had a rotunda where we could do the less than lethal force training. They also had a gun range where they used skeet, but we set it up. Uh, we had the drag dummies and the mannequins that were out there to simulate actually pulling an officer uh, off the firing line. And we drove down, had the call. They had to drive to the scene, get out. And we had the facades of three different houses that were up there. They had to read the house number. They had to go to the right house. When they knocked on the house, the guy that came to the door was bilingual, and he was very poor in English. So if you didn't speak Spanish, you weren't getting anywhere. And so Jay, the whole reason I, I, I fell in love with Jay C's is because he spoke Spanish. And, and so he did the interpretation. We're in the house. Now the shooting starts, and it goes all the way to the handcuffing the suspect while giving him CPR, uh, you know, getting the freeway closed because we're going to have to have an airlift for the officer. And then we rounded up all the way back up and veiled dispatch. What did you hear? What did you know? What did you do? And everybody did a big debrief. Now that one training event took all day. It took Eagle County, it took Vail, it took Avon, it took all the officers that were on the road, everybody coming. The coordination was massive, but it didn't cost a lot of money because we did it all with sweat equity. At the end, this was the AAR, everybody's jaw was hanging open, and they go, holy crap, we never, we never assumed that you had to do that. Listen, life is 360. John Boyd was screaming at you that you got to constantly update, uh, update your information. So I fell in love with Jay because he was one of those advocates then. He became a, 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 a disciple and ran out and said, oh, my God, we got to modify training. I've never changed how I do training. It's always 360. It's always immersive. It's always these different things. And what I like to see now is that training is, listen, when I started, there was no single definition for situation awareness. Now you can have 70 of them. It's on everybody's website. That's a good thing. Let's embrace that. Let's embrace that training has gotten better along the way. So what are we missing? We're missing the communication part of this. We're missing how to talk to people in situations to not only gather worthwhile information to measure against a baseline, but to use to de-escalate. And de-escalate is not all communication. Some of it's paralanguage or body language. Some of it's how you pull up and where you park the police car. Sometimes it's a ruse telling the person, listen, John, I, I know you want to kill yourself, but Brian Marin is, is on his way here and he's the best guy for this. Just wait a minute and talk to him. Knowing full well that it's a ruse because the more time and distance it goes, the less likely the person's going to kill himself or kill somebody else. Being smarter than the average bear on the road. And I'm an idiot. I'm not a smart guy. I'm the village idiot of Gunnison, and it's a very small village. But what I do know is I know one thing, and I know it better than anybody, and that's how to get people trained up on human behavior. So let's not put barriers to entry. Let's not say it's too expensive. Let's not say it's too hard for throughput. Let's look at these historical examples where we can point to successes and say, look what came out of that incredible training, and let's replicate it. Let's make it the baseline for training across the country. Yeah, it's funny. You're you're talking about that example of the training you set up. And in my head, I'm 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 just recalling FTXs and setting up FTXs yep. where we have, you know, maybe we're doing something at like a platoon level, but we have 
combat engineers involved. We have already involved. We have everybody, everybody yep. and their dog involved in an FTX to support training of one individual unit. Absolutely. Because all of them will be involved when the, when, when it actually happens, everyone's going to be involved. So it can't be in isolation. Triage um, has to be there. Commu triage, community support, human resources from your police agency. They all have to be involved in this exercise because when the crap hits the fan and you've got an officer down, they will be. They'll be right there next to you, Adam. Yeah, no, that was the first thing that's jumped to my head. It's and it's it's crazy how little that is done. Right. Right. Well, and it comes down to it, and, and the purpose again, why we do these podcasts and this training is it's because the instructor doesn't know that this is the level that I have to take my game to in order to affect actual to make sure that learning actually occurs for our officers. Absolutely. Um, and so I think that's why this is such a great conversation because the instructor that's listening to this that doesn't realize like, Hey, it's not just what you can do in the classroom or the mat room or at the range. It's, are you, are you capable of creating these training exercises that encompass all of these components? And do you understand how to do that? Yep. And if you don't understand how to do that, it's time for you to go back to the drawing board and for you to go back to school and to learn how to do that so that you can then create the correct training for the people that are going to be learning from you. Yeah, I, I was asked to be the, the undersheriff of both Gunnison and Hinsdale County at different times in my career because Shelly and I had moved out. We thought we were going to retire, bought the, the ranch, and uh, training never ended. You know what I'm saying? It was just a cycle after a cycle. And and every day that I walked into Hinsdale County Sheriff's Office to meet Bobby and, and talk to the staff, I made note that it was the Roger Corsi building above the door. And, and Roger Corsi, uh, his spirit, his ghost, gave me the tour uh, Roger Corsi was a felony stop instructor for the academy uh, out of Grand Junction and ended up dying on a felony stop when he was killed by a suspect. Uh, and the two were guilty of property crimes. They weren't murderers. They weren't mass killers. They weren't school shooters. There were people that made uh, used a lot of dope and made a lot of burglaries to pay for their dope and were a stolen car. If that can happen to Roger Corsi, if that can happen to all these incredible people I've met in, in my 40 plus years of being out on the road and training people in person, then it can happen everywhere. And everywhere we went, it did not matter if Brian and I were in Saudi Arabia. It did not matter if we were in Ireland. It did not matter if we were in uh, Mexico City, wherever the hell that we were going and we were doing the training. Guess what? People are people and human qualifies you for human behavior pattern recognition and analysis. So if you can learn how to Look at the big picture and see where you fall in that big picture and kind of intuit uh, uh, using your situation awareness that things aren't improving, that the most likely is quickly moving to the most deadly. All of those feed into your survivability. But like uh, our, our friends at Thin Blue Online say, saving lives on both sides of the badge. Because you know what? You're not doing your community any service if a video comes out of you doing one thing and saying another and then flogging some kid uh, uh, after hours, right? Or, or uh, you know, you look at a shooting and the person that did the shooting, and sometimes cops are wrong, but sometimes 7-Eleven clerks are wrong. Sometimes librarians are wrong. I got the wrong order to drive through. That doesn't mean that it's going to upset everything and I'm going to close all the, the Chick-fil-A's. The idea is reform, uh, uh, training reform, means uh, uh, escalating police work to a profession and holding us to a higher standard, just like we do with soldiers, just like we do to get a promotion in the military, uh, just like people do in private business, in, in, the, in the business sector. That's, that's a core component of the upcoming ILET Summit in July. Um, and, and one of the things that we're looking at doing for the theme for the event is like change the standard. There you go. Change, yeah. change the standard, not just of training, change the standard of policing. 
change right. the standard of community change like what because the standard that we're working off of right now i think we've we've established that that's not working that's so it, it, it's it's not it's not at the it's not that it's not working the th this is my take on it is is because of the people who typically become you know, law enforcement, first responders were actively engaged in their community in some way, some fashion, whether, you know, healthcare, whatever it is, like, um, they, they've been doing it so well because of who they are. It's only like this, this should be way worse than it is given the amount of, 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 of thought and training and funding we put into this. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm shocked that, that, um, you know, it's not a crazy lawless people shooting it up and dying left and right. That's what it should be because that's what we've given them. Right. So my whole thing is we've never taken this seriously because you have all these different factors. Right? You've got the community, you've got the leadership and you've got the police and you've got all of these different things. Well, that leadership in a city is going to change every year or two for whatever that is. Right. The community, the attitudes, the wind's going to change direction. They're going to change their attitude. Police still got to go out there and do their job. So that's where I put it as is this this benefits society as a whole to focus in on that, because that's the best bang for your buck. Like there's people that want to go out there and say, you got to educate the community on what the laws are and what this is. Hey, that's great. You, you, you do. Um, but uh, good, good luck with that. I mean, I don't I I'm doing a cost benefit analysis and where I want to put some time, effort and resources into. And maybe that's not the best part. Well, what about this leadership? They need that. Yeah, they do. But it's a popularity contest. And next year, someone else is going to get elected. So here, th this is where we can focus on. And that's where I think it is, because all of, the reason why I bring it up is you're going to get all these second and third order effects that are positive, right? If I increase the proficiency level and, and the knowledge level of the people out there on the street doing all this work every day, those second and third order effects are going to get from that. Though That's where it changes. That's where in five years, 10 years, 20 years, it's a whole different city. That's the point. But we have these knee jerk reactions. Why? That's never a good thing to go. Oh my God, this just happens. Let's immediately make a policy. We're here today because of the policies of the past. We're just now seeing them, especially in the US of all these different failed policies towards crime and how we're gonna handle policing. Like that came from the community, that came from the leadership said, this is what's gonna happen. Okay, well, 20 years later, guess what that looks like? It's what you see today. So, so we're not gonna change anything right now. I mean, we can slowly, but, but where do we want to be in five years and 10 years and 20 years? And that's where it's at. And, and one of the quotes that it re reminds me of, and it's perfect for this topic that we're on right now in this part is what they, that Greg said that I wrote down one time because I sent it back to him and he's like, hey, that's a great quote. How did you think of it? And I was like, you said that and I wrote it down, <laughs> jackass. But he said, every tactical decision you make has an operational certainty and a strategic unknown. What does that actually mean? That's what I need to know at the ground. Everything that I do, it's going to cause some operational change. But strategically, what's going to happen? What are the second and third order effects? Yeah, I'm within my rights to do this, but is it the right thing to do? And what we've done is make everything a, a, you know, a laundry list of policies that you will do. In this situation, you have option A, B, or C to choose from. Okay, you, you chose C. Okay, now in C, you have one, two, or three ways of doing that. And that's junk, man. That's procedural. That's not how this stuff works, right? But if I, Adam, if I take you and you're the new uh, police recruit and I give you the best training in the world and I give you the best equipment in the world and I give you the best health care and the best family care and, the be and I 100% support everything you do, here's the thing. One, I get a better person out of that because that's an investment. So I need less officers. And three, 
That way, when it comes to someone stepping out of line, it's so blatantly obvious and you get to hold them to that higher standard. We said, no, 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 no. We trained you up to here. You performed here. Bye. This profession isn't for you. And it makes it easier to get rid of those small percentage of people that, that, that make it worse for everyone else. So I always put it as there as, as the first entry point to, to make and change. And, and Adam, this is one of the, the very few times that Brian and I disagree on, on, on things. Uh, I agree with him in principle on everything he said, but one thing that he was willing to kick to the curb uh, uh, early uh, was about standards that, that you brought up. And I agree with you. I think that when an agency goes out there, the, the community gets exactly the law enforcement they deserve. Because if they're more involved, they get good law enforcement. If they're right. less involved, they get crappy. And so all I would say is I would add that caveat, that spiral, and say this. Next time you hire a police chief, if you hire him from within, you're going to reap the whirlwind. Because you talked about the inbred, just like the inbred training. Now, somebody that's worked an agency for 15 years and can't be the chief is going to hate me and write me hate mail. Yeah, write me hate mail. But listen, uh, innovators stagnate. If you don't move on and go somewhere else, and guess what happens? We got a policy of taking a police chief that failed. Uh, uh, I'm not going to say the Bratton name because I don't want to get sued. But uh, you got a police chief that, that starts on the East Coast and goes to the mid uh, country and goes out to California. And screws things up everywhere he goes. But he's got this incredible resume and these wonderful files and all this uh, school that he's attended. Stop. Go out and take, just like I would tell a martial artist, take as much time seeking out the right dojo for you as you would seeking out the police chief for your agency. Take the time. Look for the person. What does right look like for this community? And, and how do I hold the officers to that standard? Sometimes new group suites clean and, and, and get rid of them. Uh, uh, if, if you've got liabilities, I need to look no further than TSA or, uh, 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 Homeland defense. And by the way, now they both hate me and I'll never get on a plane again to see what happens when we accept a government's lowest bid and say, this training is good enough. I will tell you right now that every failure of training is a failure in leadership first. And we can fix that. That's the only thing I disagree with you, Brian. I know that you say the elected officials right, no, I in the city it. and policymakers, that thing. We don't always have influence. I, I, leadership, right. of a, that I, 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 that I lump that person sort of in with the police. And I, I agree with that in sense one, especially we get, we get what we deserve. I agree with that. Here's, here's an interesting concept that I'm thinking of uh, as you guys are going through this. Great operators make up for bad leaders. Yeah. So, and we see this all the time is there, there's a certain, there's a, there's a, there's a maximum capacity that, that it can actually work, but poor decisions from leadership and policy perspectives can be kind of made up by people on the ground that actually know their job, know how to do it and can work around some of those bad decisions. Right. But at some point there's a critical mass where there is no more, there's no more wiggle room. So yep. those, those Failures at the leadership and policy level become much more apparent because it can't be covered up by people kind of anymore. So, you're, you're, um, you're, Adam, I wanted to just jump in here. You're creating a legal standard. That behavior is called arbitrary and capricious. If you have people that say what the boss means is this and they go off doing their own thing, that's a direct violation of the policy and procedures and everything else. And it'll undermine the agency. And yeah. I apologize. That's a DEA calling right now saying, don't use that. Uh, but uh, listen to me, Adam, you're exactly right. What we can't do though, is we can't accept the guy on the ground 
taking that because then his decision becomes yeah. policy. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Uh, what yep. we have to do is we have to hold leadership accountable. That's our first step as a mayor, as a city attorney. I believe in district attorneys going in and telling the police chief, you're out of line. And that's where it should start. And we can fix that totally in line. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, I, I know that that can be a thing where you, and I've seen that or heard that or, or, Hey, I'm, I'm not the best leader, but I'm, they're the best at the job. And that that's fine. I, I get that. Um, cause everyone's going to have different roles. Some people can, the, all they want to do is boot doors and ram cars and you need those people. But if that's you and you're saying, well, this is all I do and I'm only good at one thing. Okay. Then limit yourself to that one thing. That's what you do. That's where you stay. You become the, the subject matter expert at our place for that one thing. But other people aren't. Other people are generalists. Like, okay, I, I can learn a little bit of everything. And then, hey, that person's a natural leader. So we'll, we'll, they're going to get promoted better. That That's fine. I'm okay. Like, that's how it should be. I Meaning yep. you shouldn't be putting people in leadership positions that don't belong in leadership positions. And you shouldn't be people putting in those operational uh, positions that don't belong in operational positions. It's just the problem is we become this. Now you're getting in the sociological aspect of this in-group yep. versus out-group. Hey, we're part of this clique and you're part of that clique. No, man, like you're all part of the same click just know strengths and weaknesses are, are different. I mean, we play to that. You use the science. Like how many times were, uh, Greg, I'm with Shelly and I'm going, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to contact this guy while you, uh, while you're watching. Why? Well, because women have a higher functional field of view than men. They can see more. They can read body language better than men. So it would make more sense to have her do the watching while I do the talking, right? Versus the other way. Like it, th these are just simple things that you can do. And, and I bring up that example because it goes right into what you're talking about. Like, man, uh, all I do is I, I, this is my one thing. Okay. Well, then you need to be able to communicate effectively to the people who, Hey, I'm here. Cause I want to go up the chain and I want to be a leader. Then you have to become friends with that person. You right. gotta, as our buddy said, you got to reach across the fence and pet the monster. You have to have those open lines of communication. So they have trust in you and you have trust in them that you're going to give your subject matter opinion on something and they're going to go, okay, well, let me tell you how that falls into the 97 other things this agency has to do. I get that you think that this training is like the most important thing in the world, but let me tell you everything else that's going on. We have to have those discussions so everyone knows where they fit in. Like we always say like, Look, man, like I'm I'm one spoke in the wheel. That's a big wheel with a lot of spokes, but but this is my spoke that I do. And we all have to remember that about ourselves and where we fit in in those policies yep. and procedures and where we fit in an organization to go, you yeah, know, there's a lot going on here. So why don't I just carry the load that I'm supposed to carry and do what I'm supposed to do and, and inform those other people? That's precisely it. So so you guys are operators. I, I'm not an operator. I'm looking through the window at, at you guys being operators. Like right? a telephone operator? Or like yeah, a, exactly. Like I so, call, I switch but, out lines on the... Uh... Yeah, but the idea is that we... we I played we operation all, once. We're yeah. Working with Pier 1, guys, working with the tip of the spear, working with these, uh, uh, whether it's Navy SEALs or, or Rangers or Delta or anything, you know what? At the end of the operation, we've all been at that room for the hot wash. At the end of the operation, the very first most senior person stands up and goes, this is where I screwed up. And they tell it like it is. OK. And when they're on the operation, nobody says their rank first. They do their job first. This is my job. Do you get what I'm trying to say? And everybody is cross trained so they can do everybody else's job. Why is it that we hold business to this standard? Why is it we hold the military to this standard? Then all of a sudden we say police work. We're going to give you MRAPs and we're going to give you vests and we're going to give 203s. We're going to give you all this gear, but we don't hold them to the same standard. That's horse crap. And, and the idea is that we can't just gear our way out of this. We can't just arrest our way out of this. And, and we can't solve this with things 
We have to solve it with things. And those high-functioning units train together for the brain space as much as they do weapons retention, disarming, uh, uh, edged weapons, impact weapons, all that other stuff. We, we have to get that baseline, as you said, Adam. We have to get that baseline right. If we don't, then functionally, when we're building up, we're, we're going to build a house of cards. I think I think a core component of that, too, is understanding that everybody has a different baseline. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I've never been a part of a tier one unit. I don't even understand. I wouldn't even understand the first thing about being a part of a tier one unit. But you had said, you know, everybody has their role. They have what they excel at and they are trusted to do that and they excel at it. In right. policing, we say, hey, you have to be a jack of all trades right. instead of saying what I'm, well, I've been pushing for for a while now, which is if there's like, for example, take um, like special victims units and detectives that deal with child crime. That takes a very, very special person to do that job. Yep. And yet we have, or tactical, or for somebody on a tag team, or somebody in um, whatever, pick a, pick one of the specialties. But a lot of agencies have this thing where, hey, you're going to get cycled in and out of all these different roles. Two years here, four years here, da, 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 da. And then you move on to the next thing. Instead of saying, identifying, wow, this person is amazing here. Why don't we let them, if they're comfortable and they want to stay here, let's build them up and give them all the resources so they right. can be the very best at this one role. And if they want to stay there for the rest of their career, but they're the absolute best at it, why don't we just let that happen? And 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 um and and help people gain that that confidence in their competency in doing that job, rather than saying, "Hey, we've we've established a, a great baseline for you here at this job." And now we're going to switch you out to something that you have no idea on how to do. And we're going to start you from scratch again. There there's uh there's two sides to that coin. Right. So I get it is that, you know, hey, this person's really good at this role. Why don't we keep them at that role um, where it comes into play then is well, what if that person stays in that role and then, then they get promoted and now they're making decisions that affect other roles and they don't know shit about it. Like, and, and that's, that's the other issue is when you would, in terms of leadership, cause like the military does that a lot. I know the army moves people around a lot and their whole idea was to get when you're supposed to be a Sergeant major, you're supposed to have all of these different experiences so you can make, well, the, the thing is how many people are actually going to be up to the go all the way to the rank of Sergeant Major or Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps Army? Not a lot. Right. So but the idea is cultivating that. And, and I get that there's, you know, um, becoming an expert in those specific areas is really good. What we should focus on is that keeping the institutional knowledge, because otherwise what ends up happening is, OK, we got Adam and Adam's Adam's the best SWAT guy that this agency's ever seen. And he's been over there for 10 years or whatever. And, and no one does anything better. He has all the knowledge and he can tell you about everything down to the T, the technical specs and the weight of everything and how to use it. Like he's the guy. Well, then we move him out. Well, there's no transfer of because you become now the guy, everyone goes to you for that. And, and we don't ever institutionalize that knowledge. It never gets passed on to that next individual and spread across. That's, that's a big issue. Um, there's technological ways now that the technology is getting better that we can address some of that stuff. But, but the idea is, you, how, do I want someone that's well-rounded? Do I want someone who's that generalist? Or do I want someone who's, who's just specific? This is their subject matter expertise. Um, there's two sides to those coins, man. I mean, there, there, there really is. But it's okay to have two sides. It's yeah. okay to have that discussion within an agency if you know what right looks like. What's our mission? How are we going to get to our mission? What do we accept? The problem is that if we make too many specialists and something happens, that specialist dies on first contact, for example, then we might be in, in, in the, the 
deep shit, and we don't want to. I'll give you two quick examples. Uh, Jim Mattis, General Jim Mattis from the, the Marine Corps, uh, was a recruiter uh, long long before he was leading combat troops. So, so uh, I would uh, say it's unlikely that you can give me a Jim Mattis story about recruiting. But I bet <laughs> a lot of people have Jim Mattis stories about combat. So remember to temper your enthusiasm. And I'll talk one that you know, Adam. Uh, you know guys like uh, Bruce Siddle uh, uh, and Aubrey Futrell and uh, some of the incredible work that they did. So their work wasn't working real well in metropolitan Detroit. And the reason was that the great concepts that they taught and the science and the physiology and, and how to uh, implement it was not uh, being given by the best and the brightest. It was be given by seniority. So the motor cop that was a former NFL uh, uh, guy that played for the, the Green Bay uh, uh, was our martial arts instructor, and he couldn't even say common peroneal. Uh, uh, so when he went up there and butchered it, we were all going, what is he talking about? And he would read right from the book, and then he would come over, and because he was, you know, 6'2", 370 pounds, he would demon drop you, and then you would sit there with your clavicle aching and go, oh, that worked, okay? <laughs> but, but the idea was that that's going back to your model of, of us promoting people to a position they shouldn't. I would say be more like uh, Da Vinci. Uh, be more like Musashi, uh, be a samurai, be a, a farmer, be an artist, uh, be good at calligraphy, be good at all of those different things. Because uh, police work is a profession where you never know which skills are going to be tapped on a call or on a day. Right. And so if you put all your eggs into the, hey, this is my sidearm basket, uh, uh, you know, hey, how many, uh, Adam, you've had to see this in the news. How many coppers, uh, 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 the, you know, guy reaches through the cage and gets your backup weapon. And now it's a standoff in the sally port. Uh, a cop grabs your push dagger out of your vest or a, a criminal, and now you're fighting for your life on the ground. That's a function of two things. Leadership, control that shit, and training. If you're going to carry it, you better know how to use it. So I'm ambivalent over making that decision, but I think that leadership is the key uh, uh, in, in defining how your training is going to go. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you guys wholeheartedly. I like starting these conversations because I like to see where – everybody's heads at when it comes to this because the the only way that we're going to find a way to innovate and change the way we do things is by having hard discussions about okay yes. so here's an extreme now argue for it argue against it and then at some point we're going to find a middle ground where it's like oh wow this actually works for for everything yep um or for most things and so that's good of a good starting point a good baseline as yeah, we would say. why are why are these shooting incidents at the four first of all we have instant information yeah. Okay, yeah. information is coming from the street on somebody's phone to their laptop, and everybody knows about it before the agency knows about it many times and sets out their people. So then that breeds that knee jerk. Well, we got to do something about this. We do that nowhere. When you go to an emergency room and a doctor comes out and goes, holy crap, swelling on your knee, start sawing off that leg. They don't throw you down and put a tourniquet on and work on it. You know, there's time. There's time to calm it down. Get the experts. Let's take a look at the x-ray. Let's let's uh, uh, dissect this and find out what's the best way. And you know the best way that I found? And I'm new. I've only been in the game over 40 years, but I'm brand new, and I'm still learning. So every day what I say is science is on our side, all science all the time. Got to start with something, just like math. You know, you don't have to go to Germany and learn the German principles of gravity or, or Japan to learn the Japanese code of math. Uh, uh, so let's start with those things that we all agree on and take one step every day. If we do it incrementally, just like they did with Tennessee versus Garner, 1985, it took them 40 years to get comfortable with it. And now it's having some stress fractures. Let's fix those fractures. Let's go back to square one. 
uh, and reinforce that baseline, have a common signal, a message that everybody can read and understand, complete with definitions, and move out smartly. And Brian, what that'll do is then when somebody colors outside of the line, it'll be so evident you can yank them with the big shepherd's crook. Adam, I think every police agency should have a big shepherd's crook. <laughs> when a cop is out of line, they should stick it out there and yank them <laughs> off the stage. I really believe that. I think that's that's definitely one of the challenges, right, is, is leadership having the having the balls, for lack of a better term, to actually just pull somebody out and say, hey, you're doing yep. this wrong. Obviously, we have unions. We have, you know, police associations. We have all these things that are as as much as it's as it's a benefit. Um, it also creates these these situations where it can be difficult to remove people that Fair potentially enough. need to be removed. Certainly, but difficult doesn't mean impossible. You get what I'm trying to say? And yeah. the idea is, again, a function of leadership. Yeah, okay, so what were unions built for? Unions yeah. were built because they needed fair, equitable treatment for everybody. Well, that's great. That's what the law was built for. So we can be in line with that. But if you're protecting a, a, a killer, if you're protecting a guy that's abusive, uh, if you're protecting a racist, you're going to reap the whirlwind. Listen, at Bang, the reason we don't work at Bang, the reason we have to push left to Bang is that at Bang, no matter how much you've trained, there's always influential things that are out of your control that make it come down to some days a crapshoot. And the most highly trained person you ever met got shot getting out of their car before they ever reached for their holster. We see it all the time. So if that's your standard, your standard's flexible and, and, and it's non-supportable. It's got to be for everybody. And, and when it comes to that stuff, um, you know, I'm sure everyone's heard the saying, what you walk past is what you're willing to accept. But but here's right. the thing is it never starts with a serious catastrophic in incident yep. with those folks. It's a pattern of behavior over time. Now, the problem is, is they step a little bit out of line once, you know, 10 years ago and everyone goes, ah, OK, yeah, but that's not really that big of a deal. Well, now that's that person's new baseline. Well, yep. then they go push it a little bit farther. You know, you see what people do is first they learn their boundaries and they test their boundaries and then they push their boundaries. Right. So that person's going to keep doing that. Man, that, that might take a year, 10 years, 15 years later before now they're on the news because they did something that was so far out of line with what the policies and procedures are. All you got to do is look back and go, this got deflected way back there and no one ever corrected it. And I always give the, um, the shooting analogy for everyone who's ever done any long range shooting. Right. So. Uh, you know, you wind is a big factor, right? If you're firing a sniper rifle, wind, you know, distance to the target is always the biggest factor, but then how that wind plays. Well, if I've got a full value left to right wind as I fire that round out of that chamber and it's a 20 mile an hour wind, right? Okay, well, that's going to deflect the, the trajectory of the bullet a lot, right? That's why we have ballistics and we adjust where our point of aim is, yes? Well, here's the thing. If that target is one meter in front of me, eh, not, not really going to matter. If it's 10 meters in front of me, yeah, not really going to matter that much. Gets out to 100, okay, like a little bit. What happens at a thousand? You're so that round is so far off. It's in a different county than when you thought it was. Well, that's how deflection works. That's how that little bit off key. If I bump that rifle just a little bit, if that person steps outside just a little bit, hey, right now at this close target, not a big deal. Wasn't big, but that trajectory keeps going. So now you're ten years later because time and distance is the biggest factor in this stuff. It's ten years later. That's how you got to that point. So now it's on the news and everyone's going, Jesus, this guy is so egregious. How did you not see it? Came out of nowhere, well, we yeah. 
and nothing ever comes out of nowhere. Why didn't you notice it as your partner, Adam? Well, you did, but you didn't say anything about it at first. And then slowly because of adaptation and change blindness and channel capacity and sequencing and, and how we, we were less likely to, to call out someone that's our friend and that's our brother and we got to protect them. Okay, well, that's why. We don't have those internal difficult discussions, right? They don't sit there and when someone saw something, pull them aside when they were young. And even if that person out ranking, be like, hey, man, this is what you did. I saw it. I'm not going to stand for it. That person's behavior might continue, but it won't around you because you taught them how, how to treat you. You said that is not okay. That does not fall within. And why wouldn't you want to do that early on at something small rather than wait till it becomes something big? Because that's the thing. People can change right? You can correct someone early on and put them on that right path, right? Rather than letting them continue going where they are. Any big case, I don't care if it's people doing crazy stuff, they got caught in the military or law enforcement, take a look. Or, or when someone, the biggest one is too, is when someone's like, comes out with getting accused of, of some sort of sexual misconduct or sexual harassment, right? My wife always goes, when that story pops up, she always asks me, well, what do you think? I go, wait, if all of a sudden this leads to 37 more women coming out, this was a pattern of behavior. If this was one person, hey, that's a complicated case. That has to be investigated. That has, you know, but watch, watch when it occurs. Every single one of these, they look back through their career. It's glaringly obvious when we can Monday morning quarterback. Why don't you see it during it at the time? Because you don't understand human behavior. The hardest thing is to correct myself or someone close to me. I don't want to believe one of my buddies is thinking about committing suicide. I don't want to believe that, but it happens. It happens all the flipping time. And we miss those things because we're humans. All right. So this is what we need to focus on because that way it'll correct things over time. So if we add to that cognitive dissonance, yep. that's the turbidity in our environment, where, which forces us not to see what's right in front of us. And then if we say confirmation, confirmation bias, bias yep. added to that. What I'm now doing, uh, Adam, is I took a sheet of, uh, of uh, acetate and I'm with a dry erase marker putting it over my subject matter expert who just gave us a sniper analogy from his combat veteran experience. And I say, Brian is onto something, but we have to back off one layer of acetate and say, this is the internal ballistics that affected the round and the yep. lands and groups. Here's the external ballistics as it left the muzzle and was impacted by its environment because it was a humid day. Do you get what I'm trying to say? And there were heat monkeys coming off the ground. And then the, the last is the terminal ballistics. The person was wearing a, a, a heavy jacket and and uh, uh, had a light, you know, uh, level three protective vest versus whatever. All of those factors. People say, we just want to do the training. If you're not sharpening your pencil and going back to all of those with every one of your employees, you're not doing human resources. You're, you're not being a good instructor or trainer. That, that's like, uh, what's the best martial arts on the world? Uh, what's the, the karate or judo that, that you should take? The one that fits you. If it's not Greg Doe or Adam Doe, you're not going to use it. So the same thing, we have to modify the training to the human, to the environment, and we have to have the leadership support. I would tell you right now, that there's a lot of police chiefs that would be out of job if if I, I was you know if I were king of the forest and they <laughs> granted me that wand for a day because that's where it starts. Poor training, poor decisions on the street start with poor role models and poor leadership. You got to get rid of them. I love that. What is it right now that Arcadia Cognorati is doing in the law enforcement space? When you guys are going out, you're getting calls from agencies. What is the number one thing that they're they're bringing you guys in to do? 
So first off, the typical profile uh, for, for someone who reaches out to us is someone who's usually been in law enforcement, it will say at least eight years. Uh, uh, they have um, some been in some sort of specialized unit, whether that was SWAT or a special enforcement section or wherever, and they've been a trainer at some level, whether that was training, you know, they were firearms or defensive tactics or use of force, whatever, right? That's like every person that reaches out to us usually hits the, all of those buckets and a couple more. Right. So and what they're looking for is they're, they're doing what you're doing. Adam. they're going, there's got to be something better out there. I, I've mastered this stuff. I'm really good. I've read every book on the shelf. I've done this. I've trained people. I've seen how things play out in the street, how we address the issue and what actually really happens and how they've seen it. And they're looking for answers. Those are the people that call us. Those are the people that listen to the podcast or saw something or a webinar and said, hey, we need you to come in. So then what we do is we have an approach based on that unit, right? We don't, we don't do the off the shelf. I mean, we're not McDonald's. Okay. And we're not, we're not trying to be, and, and we're not for everyone. So the idea is we're for those people that want to make those instrumental changes and in how they approach it using what they already have, right? I'm not going to make you buy another tool. I'm not going to make you invest in some piece of equipment. It's up armoring your brain, cognitive skills to go, how do we slow down time and make good decisions? So we call it human behavior pattern recognition and analysis. We call it prevent, prevent. We call it tactical, operational, and strategic level de-escalation. We talk about psychological, physiological, and sociological factors that affect you, your environment, and everything that works. And the idea is it's a process, a framework to take what you already know and arrive at a reasonable decision that fits within your policies and procedures and supports the overall strategic vision. Is that a lot? Yep. And but let me if go. You don't, if you don't want to do the work, we're not for you. And, and let me go the one step further. If if you're looking for a place where all you're going to do is have fun doing body language in a class and determining what somebody's going to do, if if you're thinking about, hey, I'm going to be booting doors and ramming cars and throwing flashbangs and shooting simunition, if we're going to be chasing an active shooter through a school, we're not for you. You know what we're doing? We're, we're up armoring the brain so you make better critical decisions in the time that you're giving further left of bang to avoid catastrophic, dangerous situations. If that's what you're interested in, there's nobody better in the world at human behavior than us. Okay. There's a lot of people out there that have written or, or acted or done things on human behavior. Go back, take a look at where it all started and you'll see we're the pioneers and we're still in the business. So if we can influence that change through training, then we've done something and we partner with people that do those other things. So if you call and ask us, hey, do you do long range shooting in uh, you know, uh, high wind situations at night? No, we don't uh, and we're not going to, but we know a couple of people because we've been around and we'd gladly, just what you do, Adam, you take those, those uh, requests and you resource them out to the people that are best in the business. We're subject matter experts in one thing, but we're the best at that one thing. Yeah, I think that's a commonality about everybody who we've partnered with here at Islet is, mm -hmm. you know, every, like I said, this is this is what you excel at. And what we try to do is put people who need your solution, put you and them together because that's that's what they need at the time. Um, and it's never a one size fits all option. And and I think that's the thing with training, too, that a lot of people need to realize is training isn't a one size fits all option. That's true. Um, even though that's what we we see currently, right? It's every officer at the academy gets the exact same training. Well, maybe maybe it's time to look at that model a little bit differently and start looking at it from an individual level um, rather than a class or an agency um, and and change the way we look at training. And so um, with you guys, I mean, you have the podcast, the Left of Greg podcast. You guys are putting that out. Um, 
there's a ton of episodes. I've started going down the rabbit hole on them. Um, it's hmm. when I'm out there doing yard work or dishes or whatever. <laughs> it's what's it's what's in my head. That's cool. Um, Appreciate which I it, think man. is a fantastic way of, of learning for people who don't listen to podcast. I know you listen to this podcast, but you should be seeking out not just what we're doing, but what other people are doing, right? So um, if you guys check out Left of Greg, definitely recommend it. It's it's the rabbit hole I'm going down right now. And they can reach you guys um, for Arcadia Cognorati. The links will be in the description. They can check that out. Is there anything that you guys want to leave the audience off with in terms of information or knowledge or a final say on what we've talked about today? Um, geez, I don't know. Um, all credit goes to the team. All responsibility lies with you. Great answer. And, and I'll give you one, Adam, that, that is not going to, it'll pale in comparison to, to Marin's, but, uh, I, I live a, a few minutes away from the black Canyon of the Gunnison and the black Canyon of the Gunnison started with one drop of water. So if somebody's going to ask you about this huge canyon, listen, you can be the instrument of change. That yep. one drop of water over time is going to fix all the ills that we've got, and there's going to be a new uh, Carillion battleship circling the, the, the United States in 30 years that we can all get together and solve that one. But you can be the instrument of change. You officer, you uh, emergency room worker, paramedic, whatever your job is, you can be the instrument of change. It just takes time. I love it. I appreciate you guys taking the time and joining me. Uh, for those Thanks. of you who listen to this, follow ILET. There's going to be some massive collaborations coming down the pipe with these guys on ILET, whether it be the summit coming up or other projects down the road. So um, strap in, and um, I look forward to talking to you guys real soon. Honor, Adam. So Thanks much for, for what you do, buddy. On, Adam. Yeah, thank you. Join the ILET network now. Go to ILET.network. That's I-L-E-T.network. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.